This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark, sitting in for Dave Hughes this week as he suns himself. Josh Williams, our resident Analyzing Anfield host, is here. Josh, how are we doing? Doing good, mate. How's it feel to be another substitute? Getting on the pitch fairly regularly lately. I'm getting on the pitch more than Divock Origi at the moment, aren't I? Yeah, uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. It's going all right. Enjoying the Euros yourself? I am, yeah. It's uh, it's it's uh, really enjoyable, to be honest. I think usually I'm not the biggest fan of international football. Um, but I think when these tournaments come around, you do realise that it's not the international football that you're not a fan of. It's, it's the lack of competition. It's the, lack, it's the friendlies. So when it's a tournament... It does change it for me. I do. I do get really into it. There hasn't, there hasn't been many games at all that I've missed so far. So, yeah. What about yourself? Yeah, confession time. I've got the Panini sticker book almost completed. I've got the wall <laughs> chart. Uh, yeah, tournament football. I'm all about it. Yeah, and I've I've really been enjoying it. But also, it's been. I think this tournament's been one of those where you've not had to try and force it or think that you're really enjoying it when you're not. Because I think we've had one goalless draw at the time of recording so far, and. I mean, Patrick Schick's goal, for example, for Czech Republic up at Scotland, that was unbelievable. Had a few nice goals, a few good games as well. Turkey v Wales springs to mind as well as sort of the uh, Ukraine-Netherlands game as well. So, yeah, there's there's been plenty going on and a fair bit of Liverpool interest as well. But this week we're going to be doing a Q&A special on analysing Anfield during the midst of the summer break. We wanted to throw it over to you guys. Obviously, Dave's off this week, so I'll be sitting in. We'll be delving into the questions that you have sent in. And Josh, we've got a fair few to get through and we always enjoy doing these, don't we? Yeah, we like to mix it up every now and then. It does specifically tend to correlate with international football whenever we do these, do a few during the season. And obviously with Dave being off, we thought it was a good time to do it this week. So we're, you know, without further ado, we should probably get into it because I think there's a fair few questions, isn't there, Guy? Yeah, that certainly is right. Russ Leachov, I hope you've got your name there right, uh, Russ, your surname. He asks, first question, is Klopp looking to sign more English players? So we're straight in with a transfer one. And English players, and I, funnily enough, saw you tweeting today, actually, about <laughs> English players, English premium. Most of them seem to be getting linked with my club Arsenal at the moment, Ben White and, and James Madison. But there certainly is a tariff put on domestic players. And I suppose whether Jurgen Klopp wants to be signing them specifically or not, with the quotas and everything in European football, I'm sure it will be something he'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, well, this is a, this is a difficult one, this because as as you've just mentioned there about the tweet, you do tend to just pay more for English players, and a lot of the time you're paying more when there's better or certainly level quality same players from from Europe for for cheaper. So you're paying more for a player who doesn't really deserve that in terms of his ability. It's just the fact that he's English and he's homegrown. Now, you obviously need a certain number of English and homegrown players in your squad to meet these quotas and things like that. So it is important. But I think Liverpool in particular have been really careful about these these English players and the English players that we've added to the squad over the years. We've done it really quite in a clever way, I think. You know, we've, we've signed players who are maybe going to fill a backup void in the squad players who are going to join really young, players who are going to come through the academy. So if you look at the likes of Trent, Nat Phillips maybe you could throw in there. Um, Nico, Nico Williams. Nico yep. Williams is Welsh, Welsh actually. No, but he counts as homegrown, doesn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, he counts as homegrown. Yeah, you're right. Um, Joe Gomez we picked up for for really cheap. Um, James Miller was a free. Jordan Henderson's been at the club for about a decade. Harvey, Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott, really reduced price. Oxley Chamberlain as well. I think he was probably. I think we maybe over, overplayed a little bit for him, but not by much. I think he was around that age, and he was probably a thirty million pound talent that you, that was worth investing in. So I've got no real issues with that one. But I think specifically from an Arsenal perspective, funny enough, guy, I, I do think that paying a, a combined hundred and ten million for Ben White and James Madison, the good players, but you can just get about that quality elsewhere for about half the price if you look hard enough. And I think Liverpool are really inclined to look that hard, essentially. I am. Hence Liverpool's ability to, to spot these little gems. 
Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, without wanting to obviously turn it into an Arsenal podcast, I, I don't see that happening. But I completely agree with you. One player who's always stood out to me as a player, I, I would have thought Liverpool maybe, and I'm sure they may well have looked at him and sort of passed over. Is, is someone like James Ward-Prowse, who, as you were saying before, can kind of come in in that backup ish position. Don't know if he could ever really sort of play, maybe even as a deputy right hand side player. I know you've sort of said that about Alex Oxlade Chamberlain in the past as well. But now he's he's 26 and I think maybe he's he's going past the other sort of side of the time in which Liverpool would be interested in him. But I've kind of felt that you kind of had Steven Gerrard around the club and you, you listen to sort of ex England players talk about the sort of levels he would set in training. Someone like Peter Crouch has spoken about it a number of times on his own podcast as well, that coming into Liverpool and just the standards he would set. And I imagine now that it's Jordan Henderson and James Milner still setting those same same standards. And someone like to me, Ward-Prowse, who has got quality on the ball, but would also be able to sort of come in and uphold that kind of standard within the club be a British player, really get what it means to play for Liverpool and not going to be a, a sort of star player who's going to have his head turned by like a, a Real Madrid or Barcelona type. I, I always sort of thought he would kind of be someone who might well be on the radar. But as I say, probably time moved on beyond that one. And I mean, Calvin Phillips has been spoken about recently, Josh. What do you think of that? Yeah, I got lots of advice about that actually for Diego. I think he's um, he's a good player and there's, there's plenty of things on the side. I think he's still quite young. Is he 25, maybe? I think he's 25. Um, and he's obviously really capable under Marcelo Bielsa. You know, there's comparisons there between Bielsa and Klopp in terms of the style of play. So I think he's a good player. You know, I've got nothing against him. And I think he obviously had a really good first game in the Euros, puts a foot in and things like that, good without the ball. But I just think, again, you know, that English premium that you're probably going to like you to pay there. And I think the the fact that Liverpool will probably aim just a bit better. I think Liverpool have a really, really high ceiling. I always say, you know, and I think it's been said in the past, to play for Liverpool, you either have to have world-class ability or world-class potential. And below that, there's no point. Um, and I think when it comes to World Prowse, again, good player, lots of things on his side. I think he was one of the very, very few players this season to play every single minute of the Premier League season, actually. Um, and that's that. That's certainly a positive for set pieces. It's a positive, very versatile. I think he's captain now of of uh, Southampton, which offers an insight into his character and things. But again, just just the level, the level of the player has to be really, really high to play for Liverpool. Liverpool are not, you know, a team that can settle for sixth, in my opinion, or fifth. Or Liverpool always have to be at the pinnacle, and when that's the case, you have to sign top players. Um, going back to that English point as well that I made earlier. I forgot. I left out Curtis Jones, who is 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 going to be a player, in my opinion. Who over the years, I think he'll kind of step into Henderson's shoes a little bit. And if you think of his age now, if you think of what Curtis Jones might be like by the time he's about twenty six, given he's a Liverpool lad and stuff like that, I think he'll be a really big presence in the squad, and he'll be a crucial member of, you know, retaining those standards that you've just mentioned. Um, and he'll come through obviously as a free, despite taking the homegrown and the uh, the English boxers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in the Champions League, is it you have to have eight homegrown players in your 25-man squad and four of which have to be club trained, which sort of straight off the bat, you can sort of think of Nico Williams, Trent, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott in a couple more years will be one of those sort of club trained players at the age in which he, he came into the club as well. So maybe Liverpool have that side of it, box stuff. It'll be interesting to see if they do look at any domestic transfers. Next uh, question I'm going to pull out here is from Paul Stevens, who says, should Liverpool sell players before the last year of their contracts? And if they don't sign a new contract, otherwise we're losing money on players all the time. Now, I suppose this one's topical, Josh, because of Jorginho Wijnaldum. Yet I kind of put the argument out there that actually Liverpool were very clever with Wijnaldum because as much as they've lost a talented player there for nothing, and he, he played an awful lot of minutes last season, I think the mark he will have left on the aforementioned Curtis Jones that you mentioned before, will be indelible. And actually, he is now maybe going the other side of the hill. And he may have one, may have a season and a half of real top football left in him. But eventually, there will be a decline that will set in. Yeah, I think it ultimately depends when it comes to these situations. Every situation will be different. I think in the case of Wijnaldum, obviously going into a pandemic season, Liverpool kind of had a bit of an option there maybe to, to put him up for sale if you like, that sort of thing. But I think when you think of what he was going to offer and what Liverpool maybe might have 
been able to get for him, given he had only a year left. Maybe he'd have got, I think maybe 25 million would have made Liverpool think a little bit. But in terms of actively looking to sell him, I just don't think it made that much sense, considering he's gone into this season, played the most minutes of any Liverpool midfielder again. Um, certainly contributed to the side throughout the year. And then he leaves at the end of the season for, for the free. So I think I think it depends. I don't think it's a it's a coincidence that when Liverpool signed Wijnaldum, he was aged 25. And I'm pretty sure the club gave him a five-year deal, knowing that that would take him to the age of 30. And I think then at the age of 30, you've got the option then to reassess, maybe give him a new deal. Or in my opinion, the plan was probably always at the age of 30 to then cut ties and probably be, probably bring through a player like Curtis Jones, who we've just mentioned. So always you want, you know, if a player's going to leave the club, you always want to get some sort of fee for them. Like certain players in the, in the fringe areas, you know, the likes of Grujic, Harry Wilson and, and players like that, you obviously want to get a fee for those players because keeping all of them does virtually nothing. Keeping all of Wijnaldum just gave Jürgen Klopp the option of Wijnaldum throughout the season, which is a very nice option to have. He's never injured, versatile across different positions, Big player, big character in the squad, one of the four leaders. I think that's been picked out. So I think in that case, I had no real issue with Liverpool not getting a fee for him. But in certain other cases, you obviously don't want to let players just run down the contracts and leave. If, if too many start doing that, it, do, it does just get to a point where your club just looks badly run, essentially. I suppose it, it is all within value, isn't it? And value is not just sort of equated for in transfer fees, but in terms of what a player offers. Now, Jorginho Wijnaldum will be underpaid on the contract he was on. Would Liverpool have been able to shell out on a transfer fee and a similar wage packet to bring in somebody as adept at that job? Or is it a case if they keep him for a season, admit that they're not going to make a, a profit on his sort of initial fee from coming in from Newcastle? But as we say, you've then got a player in a year's time in Curtis Jones, who, albeit this time last year, we were saying he could be the Adam Lallana replacement. He's done that this year, playing more minutes than what Lalana did in his final year. And now next season, of course, it would be a massive jump to all of a sudden play a level of minutes that Jorginho Wijnaldum did play last season for Liverpool. But at the same time, there is sort of now room for him to develop. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. In terms of him then stepping up maybe and helping take that Vinaldum role, we've got a question in from Louis Flood who says, do you think Harvey Elliott can potentially replace Jordan Shakiri for next season? So along the similar lines, what are your thoughts and hopes for, for Harvey Elliott next season, Josh? No, I think this is a possibility. Uh, I, I mentioned this a few weeks back on the, the transfers pod. I've followed him throughout the season because he's... Whenever I've seen him play, he's looked far better than his age. Um, and whenever I've whenever I've looked at his numbers throughout the season, he's impressed. And you have to factor in. I think he recently, yeah, in April he turned eighteen, which is quite insane. You know, he's he's been seventeen years old competing in a championship, which is widely regarded as a really physical man's league. And he was showing up as comfortably one of the top five. 10 creative players in the league. He was alongside the likes of Emi Buendia in many areas. Very similar. Um, and Buendia's just been signed by Aston Villa for about 35, 40 million, might have been. Arsenal were obviously interested guy. So when you factor in that Javier Elliott's performing similarly at the age of 18, you know, he's, he's got a high level to reach and Liverpool are going to Again, save lots of money on this player considering he's English homegrown and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I think looking at him, obviously there's still loads of questions when a player's still that age, you know, whether he will physically mature how you want him to and all that sort of stuff. But right now, he looks really, really good. You know, the season that he's just had in the championship, scored seven, assisted 11, um, no penalties in there. And that's for Blackburn in the championship. And I think Blackburn finished 15th, was he? So yeah. he's playing for a team that's just roughly, I suppose, middle of the, middle of the table, you know, bang average. So yeah. what he's doing, he, he does look really, really good, really encouraging. And I think him playing a role in the squad next season would, I think, depend on who we get in. If we if we get in, you know, certain players in certain areas, there will be a void 
that he might be able to fill. But say, for example, we can't get rid of Shakiri, or we bring in a player like Rafinha, who's left footed and will will want the same space that Elliot wants in the squad. You know, behind Salah and things. Maybe it's a bit difficult then. Maybe you loan him out to a Premier League club this season. Here, the season coming. But I do think ability wise, it does look like he's got enough about him to. I think offer more than what Origi has offered, say, for example, as a backup, and maybe yeah. even what Minamino has offered as a backup. Just a quick one. I know it's a Q&A, so our, our listeners sending in the questions, but just sort of following up on what you say there about Harvey Elliott, do you think a Premier League loan would be beneficial for him? I just think back to someone like Tammy Abraham, for example, who went from Chelsea to Bristol City, I think scored 18 goals. He then went to Swansea, playing for a side fighting relegation and was really just a sort of outlet for them to try and launch counter-attacks, which is never the way he was going to play at Chelsea. He goes back to Aston Villa after essentially what was a wasted year, bangs in another load of goals, then comes into the Chelsea team and has done what he's done, may well move on in the summer. But I'm not sure if, say, for example, Crystal Palace need a whole host of players. He's, he's a London lad. If Crystal Palace put in a loan bid for Harvey Elliott, whether that style of play, I think Blackburn suited him because albeit they finished 15th, We've got a manager in Tony Mowbray who likes to nurture young players and really play an attacking game and the emphasis on the attack. And I think that that kind of helped Harvey Elliott to shine. They had Adam, Adam Armstrong as well, only behind Ivan Tony, I think it was in sort of leading goal scorer terms. And so the emphasis really there within their system to me would suggest that it was on highlighting individual talents and letting them sort of have a platform to play on. Whereas I think in the Premier League, personally, I'm not so sure if a, a loan to a, a mid-table relegation-threatened Premier League team would, would maybe be worthwhile. Well, I think it'd be it'd only be worthwhile if he's not going to get minutes at Liverpool. And the reason he would not get minutes is because there's too many spots ahead of him already occupied, basically. So at that point, you would then consider loaning him out because he's still only a kid he needs to play. So in my opinion, he's either got to play at the top of the Championship now in the team that's probably going to get promoted yep. or a Premier League side that are going to play through his strengths, essentially, in a way. So, just as an example, I've just looked at the Premier League now and I think four teams, for example, that you'd, that you'd loan them to that I think might want them and that I think he'd be able to offer value to would be, say, for example, Leeds United, Aston Villa, Southampton, Brighton, Norwich, uh, just teams uh, Brentford even you could argue Would you throw Wolves in there? Um, I mean they've got a Traore I suppose as, as well as a wide right player Yeah it's difficult with Wolves because they're currently undergoing a managerial change so it remains to be seen how they'll play next season but if Nuno was yeah. still there probably not simply yeah, because yeah. of how defensive they tend to be and you know they, as, as I said they wouldn't really shine a light on what Elliot's good at but I think a team one of those teams that I've just listed Specifically, I think Southampton would be an interesting one, given yeah. the comparisons and stuff. And but I think he's good enough to be to be at this level, even though he's, as I said, recently turned eighteen, which is insane. Yeah, no, just to just to highlight that he was third highest for assists with Harry Wilson actually on eleven. But as you say, actually in terms of like where those assists came from, I don't think there was a lot from set pieces. And then when you actually look at sort of the the key passes, the chances created in the championship, he was only actually seventh in that. So he had eleven assists from sixty eight key chances created. So that is that is some going to be fair to him. So on that then and talking of him and where he may or may not get a chance, we've had a few questions in on this. Richard Howard has asked it so to uh, Jeremy Perry as well. Similar questions. I'll go with Jeremy's. It says, is it time for Klopp to change his formation? I feel as though he's become married to the 4-3-3 and a switch to a different system might make the team more unpredictable. And Richard's question was sort of around the African Cup of Nations and off the back of the Euros as well. Are we now finally going to see four two three one? Well, we have seen four two three one every now and then over the course of the past few years, but I think always four three three has remained as the base. And the reason it's remained as the base really is because it's it's been the most fitting of the players we've had. You know, throughout the time at Liverpool, Klopp's had been fielders who who are just who have got legs. Basically, midfielders who can run, can cover ground. And I think our midfield, our third midfielder has always been better than our fourth attacker. So, hence 
why it makes sense to feel the midfield three and a front three rather than the midfield two and a front four. Um, so we we have used it every now and then, but I I do think this is a possibility. This so I'm starting. I've been reading about things lately and thinking about things and all that, and I am starting to think that the coming season we we might see some form of shift depending on what business happens now between you know between now and the end of the summer. If, for example, Liverpool was to sign um, Florian Neuhaus, that you know Liverpool have been linked with fairly fairly often lately. He's a player who you know anyone who follows me on Twitter will know he's not a runner. He's he's not in the Henderson mold, the Milner mold. You know, just relentless running. Um, he's much more of a much more sophisticated. Maybe I could put it really on good on the ball. I suppose I've seen comparisons with Xabi Alonso. I think they're quite good. Um, closer to a Thiago than a um, than a Henderson Milner. What you'd label as maybe a workhorse. So, if Liverpool was to get a player like that in, you'd have Neuhaus, Thiago, Fabinho, and an aging Henderson. So. To, to use four three three, you're asking a lot of those players who are not the most mobile to to cover lots of ground. Whereas if you use a midfield two, the movements are more side to side really, rather than up and down. So you're kind of more just overseeing than than really, you know, covering lots of ground and, and things like that. So it'll be really interesting to see what Liverpool do this summer. But if Liverpool target, you know, possibly a number ten, but Maybe you know, Firmino can play there, so that's not essential. But if Liverpool go and get another attacker and they get Neuhaus in, looking at the the makeup of the squad, I would I would not be surprised at all if they just started to be this gradual shift towards a a four two three one type shape. The only thing with that shape, I will say, is I'm not really sure where Jones fits in with that because I don't think he I can't see him as part of a double pivot. He just doesn't no. strike me as that sort of player. He strikes me as a runner, funnily enough. And I think as a ten, I can't see him as a ten either. So, I mean, maybe. But does he? Does he then end up doing what he did in his final year in the academy? And I suppose if Divock Origi goes and you've got a four-two-three-one, obviously the left-hand attacker in that formation maybe isn't going to need to be quite as advanced and blistering in behind that he could kind of play in that. Come in as a inside playmaker, Robertson going round outside him and almost sort of creating two number 10s in that position, as it were, whilst also having the mobility to to get round the pitch. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And, you know, we've seen that at Manchester City. You know, he's not very, very similar, but I suppose there's some comparisons there in the way Phil Foden's been used. You know, he was initially coming through as a midfielder in many people's eyes, but Guardiola just looked at him and said, listen, I think he's a forward. I think I can use him as a forward more, more effectively. He's just played there for England. And I think Jones, I do think Jones is more in the midfield mould. I wouldn't label Jones as a forward. No. But I think, but I think you know, he can play there, I suppose. And I will say, if, if Liverpool did make any sort of shift towards a 4-2-3-1 shape, it, it would, I don't think it would ever really be a total shift. I think match to match, there would still be occasional usage of 4-3-3 in which Jones seems really suited. So... Crucially, the main thing is is Klopp will have options, hopefully, and you know the tactical system, the tactical formation that he uses should always depend on the players he's got available, who's the most suited, um, what 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 suits the squad, and just more and more, it just quietly looks like four two three ones begin to become an option. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I actually thought on the final day of the season against Crystal Palace, it looked as though. Tiago and Fabinho, and, and let's not forget Fabinho came in from Monaco playing in a double pivot. Tiago, pretty much throughout his career, has always been part of a double pivot as well. And I think with that Tiago signing, perhaps it was maybe a shift from Jurgen Klopp away from the frenetic and pressing thing, or maybe not a move away from it, but as you say, giving himself options and having that ability to maybe control more. And four-two-three-one certainly is a formation which does allow more opportunity for control of the ball and possession of it. And we saw so many times this season how much Liverpool came up against deep blocks. I agree with you. I think if if Neuhaus maybe were to arrive in a left-footed forward type player, I know that Jonathan Ekone from Lille has been linked, for example. Maybe you see then Salah 
move into that number nine role. Harvey Elliott, there's minutes for him on the right, as well as a player maybe like Ikone, who can play as a 10 or as a left-footed right winger as well. It, it's interesting and it, it feeds into not only what Richard Howard asked in terms of will we see a double pivot, whether it be 4-2-3-1 or 4-2-4 moving forward rather than having to have a reliance on a high-tempo 4-3-3. And the issue with a high-tempo 4-3-3 that we saw certainly during the winter this year was if a team sit completely low against you, it's difficult to get them to to come out and play. And Arthur Penn says, Liverpool struggled this season against teams with low blocks. It's easier said than done getting past these kind of defences. Is there anything stylistically or in the data that suggests why City fared better against these teams, at least in this past season? And I would sort of counter that, Josh, in terms of saying that they, they pin teams in, they box them in if they want to sit deep. And then it's a case of getting that ball moving side to side, stretching the defence as much as they can, awaiting for openings. And then we so often see the ball go wide from City, a cut back into the penalty area. And on the edge of the six-yard box, the ball tapped into the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, the, the comparisons between Liverpool and City, I can, I can see why he's done that. But they, they are two very, very different teams. And if you look at the way they played last season, I think City in particular got a lot of strength from their defensive game last season. Obviously, you added Ruben Diaz to the team, but in addition to that, they completely changed the way they defended in terms of how willing they were to retreat into a block rather than just pressing relentlessly and basically giving the centre-backs acres to cover. They kind of covered them better. Um, And with the ball, they changed, you know, just lots of... Guardiola's referenced it a few times. He, he just basically just started doing lots more short passing than before. Um, Guardiola's kind of gone back to his roots in that way, really. And what you do by doing that is you just gain control over the game. Um, you almost tire the opponents out. It's all. It's it's not the most entertaining to be honest to watch. No, it's it was just, like Spain the other night actually in the Euros, wasn't it? They just keep the ball, keep it moving around and everything. But you're trying to convince yourself, oh, this is good football, when actually it begins to get a bit boring. Yeah, but the difference with with City compared to Spain is City have, you know, lots of really top players, loads of options and loads of different attacking options, specifically speed, though. You know, Spain tend to lack that and what they did have in maybe Adama Traore, they didn't bring on. So, you know, when it comes to uh, City, you know, they've got Sterling, they've got Mares, they've got players you can run behind, Gabriel Jesus, so they've just got so many threats. But as I said, when when you're just attacking non-stop for 90 minutes, um, City were just able to find ways to. They, they, they play differently to Liverpool, really wide at times, wingers hugging the touchline and stuff, whereas with Liverpool, the fullbacks tend to do that. Um, but I do think, despite that, Liverpool, although we did encounter problems when it comes to low blocks and things, Liverpool did have a, a really comparable attack to City last season. You know, in terms of shots total for the whole season. Liverpool took 600. Manchester City took 590. So Liverpool took 10 more shots there. And then if you look at expected goals, removing penalties, again, Liverpool top. Liverpool were expected to score about 68.1 goals last season. Uh, Manchester City were expected to, to score 66.6, uh, which I think offers an insight into City as a club, actually, 666. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly, certainly from our point of view. Uh, Nick Hume also yeah. actually asked, do, do you foresee Klopp making any changes to be more effective against low block sides? So, yeah, Nick, hopefully that answers your question as well. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We're halfway through then today's QA episode. I think it's time, Josh, to try and get into a few more transfer questions that we've had put our way. I'll I'll come to you kindly with a big one first. James Hudson says, what are the chances of Liverpool signing Mbappe? (laughs) This summer, uh, very, very low. Incredibly low. Um, Simply because of the price. I I do actually think he'd, he'd play for Liverpool. I do. I think he'd play for Klopp. Liverpool is a club that I think from an outside perspective looks like uh, an attractive club. I think Sadio Mane famously called Liverpool a sexy club a few years back. Um, and I think there's reasons behind that. You know, the fan base, the history, Jürgen Klopp, the, the playing style, the fact that Liverpool have very recently won a Champions League and a Premier League. 
So I do think he played for Liverpool, but it's the it's the price. It's insane the, the the money he would cost. And I think one very interesting thing that gives me the tiniest bit of hope is his contract situation. That's it. You know, other than that, Liverpool. It's the hope that kills you, though, Josh. It is, yeah. But other than that, Liverpool cannot possibly get this player really. You no, know, he's. Let's, let's have a look at his contract now. So he, his contract runs out in a year, which is very, very interesting. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I think PSG, you know, considering they're virtually owned by a country, it's really hard to see them letting that player go for free. But if he does go for free, you'd like to think Liverpool would be in the market for him, in the running, whatever. But even then, the wage package he would demand would completely blow your current setup out of the water. So, you know, Liverpool's current highest earners, of which are world-class players, by the way, you know, the likes of Salah, Van Dijk, massive players in, in, in the world. They're on about, I think, around 200 grand a week. I think Mbappe at PSG is probably on about double that. Um, and there'll be, there'll be clubs coming in for him if he leaves for free, offering double that comfortably. So, for him to come to Liverpool, he would have to probably come for free or PSG would have to accept a really low price for him, which you can't see happening. And he'd probably have to accept half the wage that he'd get at, at some other club. So, it's incredibly unrealistic, sadly. Um, although he's, I'd love to see it happen. and I'm sure Jürgen Klopp would love to see it happen. I think if Liverpool could do it, Liverpool could find a way to do it, the odd try, but it's just really implausible because of the financials behind it and, and how Liverpool would look at that deal and think, right, we can get a player for um, half the price or half the wage or whatever who can do not Mbappe like things, but not that far from Mbappe. He's still a top player who's going to contribute. So, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, but yeah. I can't see it. I love your optimism, Josh. I would say no chance, but it is football and these things do happen. I just can't see a way in which he leaves on a free transfer and isn't immediately demanding half a million pounds a week, which Liverpool just simply wouldn't be able to go to. As you say, it would just blow the, the wage structure completely out of the water for, for what Liverpool do. And the, the PSG president has spoken, hasn't he, saying that he will do everything in his power to keep hold of Kylian Mbappe. And given PSG reached the Champions League final Last season, this season just gone, they reached the semi-finals. For me, as much as they didn't win the French League and everyone says it's a farmer's league, he is at a team that really is challenging right at the top end of European football. He's a, he's a French player. He's from Paris. I just personally, I, I, I can't see it happening. But in terms of the front three then and, and moving forward or the top end of the pitch, Raul McKenzie says, what approach should we take with replacing the front three eventually? Should we look to sign young players with potential for improvement? Or he says, should we try and sign players like Mbappe who are ready to have an impact right now? Which I know is something you feel sort of very strongly on, Josh, that these players need to be able to come in and hit the ground running. Yeah, I think we've already started the replacement process. I think to, to get a gauge on what Liverpool are going to do, look at what we've done with Jota. Essentially, I think that's that's kind of the, the planning, really, to start buying uh, the next in line, to start bringing through the player who's going to replace, say, for example, Mane. Bring him through now, let him play alongside Mane for however long. And then if he gets to a point whereby he's pushed Mane out the side, or if we get to a point maybe where we get a bid for Mane, where we can cash in on him as he's kind of maybe regressing, you know, let that happen. But I think, you know, we saw it with Coutinho. When when we were placing Coutinho, one of the players who, who replaced him, certainly in the attack, was, was Mohamed Salah. But we got Salah in six months before Coutinho's departure. So they played together for six months. So I think moving forward, when it comes to the front three, We'll see more of what's happened with Jota. I think we'll we'll see the next one. I think this summer, uh, hopefully Liverpool get it right. But I think we'll we'll see a player who is full of potential. I think he'll be about twenty four years old. I think he'll be quick, versatile, and he'll have plenty of seasons behind him to, for Liverpool to go on. I think he'll be at a club. He'll come from a club that is beneath Liverpool in the food chain and 
he'll come in and I think he'll have a jot like season. He'll come in and out the side. And before you know it, you know, Liverpool have got a completely different front three. And none of us have even realised because it's been so so seamless and so gradual the way it's happened. You, you know, these types of changes, you don't really want them to be to be drastic, which is why I think Liverpool will do this over a long period of time by just getting players in who are capable of being heirs to the throne, really. It's the most crucial thing, I think, and, and dynamic and metric that you can't measure within football. We know how sophisticated Liverpool's recruitment team is in terms of data, but I think like cohesion, of actually these players getting used to how they all play. We saw after the end of the 2013-14 season when Sturridge picked up an injury and Suarez left to Barcelona. You can't just all of a sudden replace goals. And whilst it might be sort of fantasy talk to think, right, the, the front three, they've had four seasons together. That's too long now. We get rid of them and we, we bring in a wholesale new front three. It all depends in how these players fit together, work together, get to know how they play. And as you say, that can only happen over time. You said Jota's come in, maybe a bit of talk about Harvey Elliott, whether he can eventually over the next two or three seasons step up and really become that next player. And then maybe a player who can play through the middle, as you say, a player with pace. Will it, my thing with the whole replacing the front three, Josh, that I, I struggle to get my head around is if you try and recreate something that was so perfect of that front three that worked together for so long together, you're always going to be open to falling just short because everything for Liverpool in that recruitment spell came together. They brought in Firmino, as you say, just before Jurgen Klopp had arrived. He made him the false nine and the player he was there. They brought in Sadio Mane from Southampton. Whilst Liverpool had begun to buy a few players from Southampton, it was a bit of an untapped resource that Liverpool were at the front of the queue of. And with Salah, they bought a player who everybody else thought was damaged goods, but realised actually it wasn't. He was a player who wasn't maybe utilised in the way he was. And I struggled to see Liverpool going forward, having a front three and that being the three. If you're going to be at the top end of challenging for Premier Leagues and FA Cups, Champions Leagues and all of the, the competitions at once, I don't know if you can rely on a front three just as that. And if you don't need four, five or, or maybe even six players, that's what Man City have, for example. No, I agree. And I think when it comes to replacing the front three, I think what I mean is I don't so much mean replacing them like to, like for like. I just mean replacing them as in getting in, I suppose, the next attacker, the next group of attackers. And once they're kind of in, you know, say, for example, Jota. Jota can play through the middle if you want him to. He can play on the left if you want him to. Salah can play on the right or through the middle. Firmino can play as a 10 or through the middle. Mane can play through the middle or on both sides. So, although it's, you know, people stick to this front three idea, it's, it's the bottom line is you've got a group of top quality attackers with either world-class ability or world-class potential who are versatile across different positions. And if you've got that, you can then, it doesn't have to be a front three, it can be a front four or it can be, front two, you know, depending on what you play, say if you play a diamond or, or whatever, you know, you, but you need the options, you know, you need to, you need to replace Mane and, and Firmino or whatever as options in the squad, as as new blood, but you, you don't necessarily have to be like for like, you don't necessarily have to fit a 4-3-3. Say for example, um, Wijnaldum, if Liverpool do replace Wijnaldum with a player like Neuhaus, it's not, that is not a like for like replacement to, to diff, different qualities associated with them there. So it's viewed as maybe an evolution or a change. But it is a replacement in terms of a squad void, in terms of filling a, you know, putting a shirt number on your back. So that's what Liverpool need to do, obviously. But it doesn't have to be an attack and trio anymore. That, you know, that's that's open to whatever Jürgen Klopp wants to do, really. Next question then, Mark Weeks. We've got a few that are kind of along this similar thing to... We'll spend a, spend a bit of time on this as a bit of a, a theme. And, and it's around specialised number nines, Josh. Now, is that maybe a thing we'll get into? But Mark says Liverpool haven't had a specialised number nine under Klopp. You and other reporters often talk about developing the squad with players who offer something we don't already have. But there's never talk of a real centre forward coming in. And why not? I think on this one, it's, it's hard to, to get a centre forward. 
who is really, really good while also drifting under the radar. You know, a lot of centre forwards, if 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 they're really hitting the levels you want them to hit, everyone's probably aware of them because they're scoring every week. Then, so. But on the flip side, you can get centre forwards who are scoring a lot of goals, but aren't actually that great. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? There, for example, yeah. my team we signed Lucas Podolski nearly ten years ago from Cologne. He was banging them in. Came into Arsenal, didn't quite fit. Ended up playing wide left, and but he'd been a player who was hitting the back of the net regularly. But that was just the circumstance with what he was in. Yeah, it's it's just it's difficult when it comes to Liverpool really wanting value when it comes to transfers, which is always the priority. Looking at a striker, I just think it's difficult to get value from from a striker while also getting a player who is good enough to play for Liverpool. You know, as again, I'm talking about world-class ability or world-class potential. So if you look at the, some strikers in Europe now, Erling Haaland, you know, it's not going to happen, is it? Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku. You know, the, the, these players are strikers, and I'm sure they maybe come to Liverpool, but they're that good that everyone's already aware of them. They're already got massive price tags attached to them, so it's difficult for Liverpool to get that value out of them. And they're also, well, some of them are getting on as well. You know, Kane's 27, Lukaku's 28, um, Timo Werner I think was a bit of a striker that Liverpool tried to get in. That was kind of as close as Liverpool were, were going to get to that, really. Uh, still very young, and he was at a club that were willing to sell him. And he was he, he had exploded, and Chelsea were the only other team that were after him, really. But that one that one didn't happen. But if you look at, you know, even Klopp's last side, uh, Robert Lewandowski, you know, they signed him from from the Polish league. Um, and he got Aubameyang in, I think, to replace him. But I think Aubameyang was originally used on the left, and I think it was only Tuchel who eventually used him through the middle, and then Aubameyang exploded a little bit. But yeah, I think Klopp had brought in Immobile, hadn't he? Juro Immobile. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think he had much of a he, he didn't, he Exactly, didn't work. Yeah, no. So I think when it comes to strikers, I don't think Liverpool, you know, don't have an interest in strikers. And I think if if you look at Europe this season, a striker who has maybe exploded, who would be attainable for a realistic price. I've, I've flagged them a few times on the podcast. It would be Andre Silva. Um, but he's 25. And he, he spent previous time at AC Milan, didn't really work. But this season, he's only playing for Frankfurt. And for Frankfurt, he scored 28 Bundesliga goals, registered seven assists. 21 of those goals were, were non-penalty. So he looks like a player who... Vaguely fits the bill of a, of a top striker who's who, who could be attained for a realistic price, but there's just so few of them that I think Liverpool have just generally avoided those. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Are we in a spell though within sort of football, the tactical setup of teams and this, that, and the other that actually the very, very elite teams don't have a centre forward? They have multiple attacking options. It goes back to what we were saying about evolving the front three. But you list the likes of Holland, Lukaku, Kane. Dortmund, Inter Milan and Tottenham are all good clubs, but neither of them or none of them are right at the very top. Obviously, Inter have won Serie A, but that looks as though their team's now going to probably fall away before they can really try and be any kind of force. And you look at, for example, the two sides that contest the Champions League final, Chelsea and Manchester City. City have just let Aguero go. Chelsea have gone the whole season of not knowing if Werner's a true number nine and trying to put Havertz up there as a false nine as well. I'm just wondering, really, if it's too one-dimensional for the real elite sides to just try and hope that a number nine a poacher in the box will carry their whole goal threat. Well, when it comes to tactics, I suppose it does, in a way, restrict it a little bit because you're, you're absolutely set on having a set striker in the box sort of thing. I've said the same on previous episodes a little bit when it comes to number 10. You know, if you look at Bruno Fernandes, for example, really, really good player. I'm a huge fan of him. But when it comes to Manchester United and Solskjaer maybe being able to switch things up a little bit, Bruno can kind of only really play as a 10 when you look at it. So 
any system Solskjaer is going to select, it has to incorporate a number 10, really. Like, if you look at France recently, Pogba played really, really well for France. Some people suggested, right, Solskjaer should adopt whatever France are have, have doing with their tactical shape to get the best out of Pogba. But France played 4-3-3. You know, where's, Bruno, where's Bruno playing? So <laughs> I think when it comes to certain players, there is obviously that almost tactical limitation whereby they have to play in this set position and that limits you when it comes to formations and things. But at the same time, the, well, that, that I suppose that offers an insight into if Liverpool were to chase a striker and he's going to impose those limitations in a way, he has to then be worth the worth the fee, worth, worth including, you know, worth those limitations by by essentially putting the ball in the net. And I will say as well, when it comes to these strikers, I don't think Liverpool would ever sign a striker who who offers only goals. I think he would always have to offer an all-round contribution to the, to the team. You know, if you look at maybe what Kane does and what Firmino does really, although Firmino obviously doesn't find the net enough, he offers an all-round contribution to the team. So, Liverpool would, when it comes to strikers, there's just a really specific criteria, I think, that I don't think a lot of players meet. And the players that probably do meet it are just far too expensive. So it's it's a difficult market when it comes to Liverpool getting a striker. And if Liverpool are to maybe try and sign an up-and-coming young player who's going to be the heir to the throne, as it were, it's all about actually getting minutes into this player and, and seeing and allowing them to learn on the job, which Liverpool can't really afford to do. For example, you see someone like Rian Brewster, who was waiting for his chance for so, so long. Eventually, the time comes. No, he needs to go out and get minutes and play himself. And and maybe he, he could have done with doing that a, a year or so before. It didn't sort of certainly work out for him with Sheffield United last season. But in terms of names then, Emma Goide Chang, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly there, says... How can Jurgen Klopp change the lineup next season if we get Patson Dacker? Who would the front three be? So Patson Dacker from the Red Bull group playing with Salzburg. He's been linked continually, it seems, ever since scoring in friendly last summer against Liverpool. You mentioned about sort of names and scouring the market. Josh, do his numbers stack up? Would he be ripe for the picking for Liverpool? He's certainly interesting. Um Really good record in at Salzburg, but again, he is one of those players who has only really played as a striker. You know, although he's got maybe applicable traits playing out wide, he hasn't really played there at all over the course of the past year, at least. Um, scored 27 goals in the Austrian Bundesliga this season. 26 of those were non-penalty, assisted four. And last season, scored 24 non-penalty goals. So, he certainly knows where the back of the net is. Still only 22... Well, he's 22 years old, so he's not the youngest. You know, he's the same age as Rashford. Same age as Mbappe. So, again, although he's got, although he's doing it in this league, I would have that slight question mark as to whether he's Liverpool level. I think Liverpool level, I've always said this, is really, really high. Liverpool level should not be just any old talent. It should be someone who's absolutely top-notch. And although he's, this lad's doing it, in the Austrian Bundesliga, it's the Austrian Bundesliga at the end of the day, and he's he's twenty two, so he's not that young. He's got don't get me wrong, he's got plenty of things on his side. You know, six he's six foot and stuff like that. He's quite mobile, strong, and as I said, he knows where the back of the net is. But if he was to come to Liverpool, and we was to go into next season and things, what would the front three be, or what would the front four be? It'd be Jota, Firmino, Mane, and Salah. And Patson Dacher will be on the bench for me. Um, I think he might get to a level where he'd, he'd start to to make his statements and start to get into the team, obviously, which would be the idea if you get if you're bringing a new signing. But I think if Liverpool were to get a player like that, I don't think he'd just break into the side immediately. I think he'd have to he'd have to go through development behind the scenes. He'd have to do a little bit of what Minamino was essentially done, but hopefully with a bit more impact. Which I think he was, you know. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to downplay him too much because I think I do think he's a top talent. But again, I'm, I have to stress Liverpool level is really, really high. 
Yeah, definitely. Right. We've only got 10 minutes left, so we've probably only got time for a couple more. But just staying around the, the striker chat, final question on it. Doug Lewis says, what are the Reds' options at attacking midfield? I really think a top-flight attacking mid is needed more than a striker. So we've spoken maybe about switching the formation up next season and going forward. Would you agree with that, Josh? And what kind of players are out there that look as though they would be of sort of Liverpool's fancy? Yeah, I've I've toyed with the idea myself of Liverpool signing some sort of some sort of um like offensive eight, uh number ten type player, bit like a a Mason Mount maybe, someone like that, someone like a Kevin De Bruyne. But it's again, it's, it, there's not that many widely available out there. You know, there's a few people, a few players tick the box. You know, Danny Olmo is an interesting player. For Liverpool to look at, obviously, he's at RB Leipzig at the minute. Liverpool obviously have a history of signing players from uh, the Red Bull clubs. I flagged there uh, Pedro Goncalves recently, but I think I don't think he's got enough behind him in terms of seasons and real evidence that he's been doing it for a few years to to get a Liverpool move just yet. Um, I've seen Matthias Cunha. Is it how, maybe how you say yeah. it? I've seen him linked it a little bit. Again, good player. Um, Husemawa is a player that I mentioned a few weeks back. I had a little look today as well at um, Lorenzo Pellegrini. He looks interesting. I like the look of him. Um, he's captain as well of AS Roma, so it suggests that he's at least got the the character side on on his side, if you like. Um, so I think there's plenty of options. There's more options when it comes to the, that that department than than strikers. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see what Liverpool do because I do think we want an attacker. Um, but what type of attacker that will be, I am really interested to see. And you know, sometimes you can you can get a midfielder who also ticks the attack. Like if Liverpool were to get, say for example, Kevin De Bruyne, that's kind of two players in one. Really, you don't really need a centre mid and an attacker if you get Kevin De Bruyne because he can do both. So it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool do it, whether Liverpool sign a midfielder and an attacker, um, whether Liverpool sign a, a number t- number eight slash number ten and then sign a wide player. You know, there's loads of different ways to do it. So You've sent people into a frenzy now though. You've said in that way you're still holding out hope and Liverpool should go and sign Kevin De Bruyne. I think I think I, that'll be enough for a few people, but I do. I do not recall saying I still have <laughs> when it comes to Mbappe. That's that's a no goal. Man. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I have to say personally, just just on the attacking field, I feel a left-footed player is is going to be something that's maybe thrown into the mix as well. If you've got the Africa Cup of Nations and the Olympics and everything around Salah, with that isn't quite cemented just yet. Harvey Elliott, it probably is a bit too soon for him. I'm just thinking when when Salah maybe does go away for the Cup of Nations during January, what is the option going to look like? Now, if Origi's to go in the summer, you've got Jota and Mane that you feel are left-sided players who can maybe do a stint through the middle as well. But for me, and Salah never does get injured, but A, if he were to either get injured or B, when he is away at the, the Cup of Nations anyway, I just feel that is still one area that if Liverpool can maybe double up with a player who can play in an attacking midfield position infield, as well as on the right-hand side, cutting in with a left foot. I just feel that's maybe an option. But again, as you say, Liverpool have to scour the market and get the very top players or players they know that have a ceiling to get better. It's going to be uh, an almighty ask, isn't it? Yeah, as I said, there's loads of different ways to do it. And I think, although I agree with you that we maybe missed that left-footed player, it is difficult if you were to get in a player like Rafinha, who is left-footed and does like that right side of the pitch. Because, you know, you could then ask, well, OK, when Salah's there, where does Rafinha play? Yeah, it's a niche um, option, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then also, even if Salah's not there, but when Harvey Elliott starts to come through, what space does Harvey Elliott take up then? If, if, if you've got a 24-year-old Rafinha taking up the slot that Elliot's probably going to want. Although I do think, I mean, Elliot's got six years on Rafinha, so that's probably not that much of a concern, really. But it's going to be interesting to see what Liverpool do because, as I said, you could sign a number eight slash number ten, and then because they've got that ticked, 
they could sign a wide forward or they could sign a wide forward who can also play as a number 10. And then as a result of signing that, you only need to sign a player who can play as an eight. He doesn't have to be able to play as a 10, if you see what I mean. So Yeah, I was going to say, with the with the whole dilemma of if it's a left-footed play, you've got, you can move Salah, I suppose, to play through the middle, albeit that's not been his best position. Say a Rafinha into a number 10 role, Harvey Elliott, played as a false nine at times with, with Blackburn as well. It, it is fascinating. And these are the kind of chats that you can imagine are going on behind the scenes at Liverpool deciding exactly or will have already gone on, no doubt, to decide what the targets and what the aims are in this this, this transfer window. But you can I be think, assured. I think, I think ultimately you, you just want players. I think Joss is a perfect example because Joss is a really, really adaptable. He's played on the right as well, hasn't he? He's, he's played everywhere and he's really two-footed. And he's just, he's kind of like a blank slate almost that you can just use wherever. Wijnaldum was a lot like that. And I think, you know, I mentioned Pellegrini before, AS Roma. He he struck me as interesting because he's, again, he's two-fuzzled. And he, this season, for example, in the in Serie A and the Europa, in the Europa League, he's played predominantly as a centre-mid, but he's also played as a 10 He's played on the right wing. He's played on the left wing. I think very, very few minutes as a centre forward as well. So these players who can just play anywhere, when you when you get those in, no matter what, they're probably going to be sensible additions because you're never really going to be overly restricted when it comes to tactics, formations and all that because you can just play anywhere in a way. Whereas when it comes to a striker or, it's, or a fixed 10 like Bruno, you have to fit them in. Um but I think Klopp likes players who are just much more adaptable and uh, versatile. Well, it's another one of your sayings, Josh. Players win new games, but also good players can play with good players. So you have those <laughs> players who can play in a multitude of roles. They can always find a way to get on the pitch together. Right, final question we've got comes from Frank. Very sorry to those who did send their questions in and uh, didn't get them answered. Hopefully we'll do another one of these before the season starts. So, uh, yeah, do get your questions into us. Again, but uh, Frank says, which players from the relegated sides are looking ripe for the picking? At what point do we all get aboard the Angisa train choo-choo? Now, I know Angisa is a player that you've looked at a number of times, but my argument would be I don't think any of them are for the picking for Liverpool because Liverpool are beyond that level from what they were when they signed the likes of Andy Robertson, Jordan Shakiri and Jorginho Vijnaldum. Yeah, that's a good point. There's certainly lots of talent down there. Um, and if I was at a club beneath Liverpool, say, for example, the clubs between 5th and 10th, especially, probably including Villa and that, and 11th as well, there's, I think there's certainly players you'd look at. Like, if you look, if you look at who the gems are down there, you, you're probably flagging Sanderberg, um, Matthias Pereira is probably in there, and Geese is a really good shout. You know, he's a player I've I've been mentioning for a while, actually. Uh what do you think on Joachim Anderson, the, the Danish centre-back? I know he was on loan at Fulham, but he's, he, he caught my eye a few times. Yeah, yeah, he, I think he should definitely stay in the division. I think before too long, he had the, the Fulham captaincy as well. So if I was, again, if I was in charge of a Premier League club between fifth and, well, anywhere really, you know, you, you, you look at Anderson keeping him in the league because he did look good, looked decent on the ball, good in the air. Obviously, it's all if he's got the armband. So, yeah, he's he's a, he's a great shout. I even like the lad alongside him, although he's a little bit raw. Tosin had a Tosin, yeah. Um, I thought he was good. You know, he's, he's still, as I said, still quite raw. I think he's only twenty-two, but just lots of perks on his side. You know, he's he's tall, fairly mobile, decent on the ball, um, good in the air. So he he looked like an interesting player, but I think his ceiling's a little bit lower than. Than Anderson's. I think Anderson could go up to a, a side like Leicester, but I think Tosin would. You'd maybe look a little bit, little bit below that. Um, Fulham had quite a few, to be honest. Fulham had a fair few talents that 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 you'd suggest, you know, could probably stay in the league. And I think by the end of it, by the end of the season, I I actually thought that might have happened, but um, obviously it didn't. But I think looking at Fulham's side, just trying to get up the some of the squad now. Yeah, Anderson. I mean, Ariolo is on loan. Luchman, I think, is an interesting player to, to, to keep in the league, although he was only on loan, I think. That's, that's, that's one of the issues with Fulham's squad. Half the, half the team is on loan, so that's 
probably no surprise why why Scott Parker's looking to to take the Bournemouth job at the minute. Um, but there's plenty of talent down there. I just don't think. Again, going back to this Liverpool standard thing, I don't think Liverpool need to go that low. Really, I think if I was to put me money on what player down there Liverpool would go and buy if Liverpool were to buy anyone, it would be a toss up between Sander Berg and Matthias Pereira. I think. Um, other than that, I can't see can't see it happening this summer. No, interesting one to keep an eye on. Well, that's it then for us for this edition of Analyzing Anfield. I'm sure Dave will be back next week, all nice and bronze for his week away. But for now, from myself, Guy Clark and Josh Williams, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.